0: Well, thank you to our musicians, and good morning to you. Great to see you this morning. I trust you have come with a sense of anticipation, the meeting with God and meeting with God's people. It's been about uh, six or seven months ago that Pastor Steve contacted me and said, hey, I'm going to be gone for uh, uh, some time situation that I live in Ethiopia about two months of the year just so I can enjoy rainy season in <laughs> the other 10 months I, uh, I teach at a place called Dallas Theological Seminary where uh, I have the thrill of opening the scriptures and, and helping people to learn from the Word of God all pretty much every day so uh, I have a very blessed life to be able to enjoy people on two sides of the world who love the scripture and um, I hope you. I hope the words of these songs are ringing in your ears. Uh, the, first, the first song we sang today is great. I mean, it's a, it's a declaration and a prayer at the same time. Uh, it says, your, your grace is enough. That's our declaration. Your grace is enough for me. And actually, we are about to start today a five-week series that we're calling Living Under the Reign of Grace. And uh, we'll be focusing our attention in Romans 5 through 8 in these Sunday messages, and I trust that you will be thrilled to see what it's like to live under the authority, the supremacy, the, the rule of God's grace in our lives. That first song also was a prayer because it said, remember your people, remember your children, remember your promise, O God. Well, who are these people we're asking God to remember? It's us, right? We're asking God to remember us, His people, because we are the people of God, called out from the world and chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, being transformed by the Spirit, and journeying together to that great day when the reign of Christ will fill the earth. That's who we are. We come together as the people of God. I trust you have come with a real sense of anticipation. I trust you've also brought your Bible or your Bible on the phone or some way that you can see the Word of God because we are going to give our attention to it. But before we do, let's ask God by His Spirit to to enable us to submit to His Word. Join me in prayer. And so, Father, we thank you that you have given to us this precious Word of God. And we love it because it's from you. And at the same time, we recognize that without your work in our lives, we would resist the very truth that is here, for we are rebellious people. So I pray that even now, as we open the Scripture, that your truth through Your Spirit will come at our hearts and convict us and encourage us and meet us. So we say to You, our God, we want to submit to You through Your Word. Help us to do so. For Jesus' sake, amen. Wouldn't it be great if all of our relationships were perfect? You know, imagine a relationship with your employer where your employer thinks so highly of you that, the employer comes to your house in the morning and picks you up and gives you a nice ride to the office and when you arrive at the office you have a a nice cup of buna and and a good chair to sit in and they give you plenty of things to do but just the right amount of work always a nice long lunch hour and at the end of every pay period you get a bonus and you, you never grow tired of working for this employer. You always have lots of energy. You never fall asleep on the job. You're never late. You do exactly what needs to be done. It would be a perfect relationship, right? Hmm. Or what if you had a perfect relationship with your spouse? You know, where. Sharp words were never spoken, only words of love and kindness, and, and, and you met your spouse's needs before they were even said, and, and he or she met your needs just before you were you could even think of them. Oh, what a perfect relationship that would be. Or how about with your children? You know, children who show love and respect, and, and they obey even without being told, and, and fathers who never speak a word out of anger or, or never, never overbearing on their children, who, who just always love them and provide for them. That would be a perfect relationship, right? But those kind of relationships, they're kind of the things of <laughs> fantasies, romance novels, uh, the movies. None of us really has relationships quite like that. In fact... Most of our relationships are kind of like uh, functional. You know, they're okay. We figure out how to make them work. So we work with an employer and we do what we need to. The employer does what he needs to do and it's okay. And with our spouse or with our children, our families, we make it work. And we kind of settle for okay. You don't have to be perfect. That might be all right for our human relationships, but that's not what we want for our relationship with God. With that relationship, we expect something much different. We really ought to expect a relationship that is perfect. So let me ask you this morning, how is your relationship with God? For many of us, we might say, well, you know, I think God's probably a little disappointed with me. You know, I, I haven't been as good as I would like to be. I, I, I have this sin, this lying thing, and I, and I try to tell the truth, but, but I, I keep kind of covering things up with a lie. Or maybe with you, it's anger, and, and the anger is deep in my heart, and I, it kind of just bursts out in words that I don't want to say, and I'm trying to stop, but I can't. And, Or for some of you, it's it's, it's, I really wanted to share my faith, but I've, I wasn't able to do it. I was afraid, and I kept my mouth shut when I should have spoken up for the cause of Christ. And I just think God's disappointed with me. And our relationship's not perfect. It's just okay. Or, or maybe for some of us, it's not that God's disappointed with us. Maybe you're disappointed with God. It goes like this, you know, I really expected by this point in my life I'd have a a, a better house and a, and a better family. I thought I'd have a better job and that life would be smoother. I thought that things would be going well and that I'd have a oh, an overwhelming sense of closeness to God. And I'm just kind of disappointed. Life's really rough, not working out that way. And my relationship with God isn't exactly... Perfect. This morning I want to suggest to you from the Word of God that your relationship with God is perfect. Absolutely perfect. And you might think, that sounds pretty crazy. How can that be? How can we have confidence that the relationship that we have with our God is all well, (laughs) that it's it's as good as it can be, that it is absolutely perfect? That's the question we want to answer today, and we're going to do so by looking at this claim from the Scripture. In fact, it it is a description of our relationship in the most glowing terms. I like to call it a benefit package where God says to us, Here, here's the way we describe this relationship between you and me. I'll call it a benefit package of a perfect relationship. And as we unpack that and finish understanding what God has done, we want to look at how we got that package, how it was procured for us. And then having known what the benefit package is and, and how we got it, then we'll think about how it boosts our confidence in the way that we live our lives. So what we have, how we got it, and really what difference it makes. Sound okay? All right, we'll do that together. We're in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or your scrolling or whatever, I trust you'll find Romans chapter 5 and join me there because we want to, we want to look at this one great benefit that has three features to it. The benefit of having a perfect relationship with God. And what we're going to see is that this is a benefit, a relationship that's based on peace and grace and hope. Three simple words, but oh, are they important. Peace and grace and hope. Romans chapter 5, notice the emphasis on peace, especially as we read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also boast in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We'll stop there for a moment. Paul's, the first feature of this this benefit package of this relationship with God is that it includes peace. Or I'm going to even expand it as Paul does here to peace and reconciliation. This is a, what Paul is describing is how people who belong to God, have moved out from a place of being his enemy to being his friend. They've moved out from under God's wrath, being a target of his judgment, and moving now so that that is not a concern. This is like the ultimate peace treaty. Now, in our experience, we, we hear the word peace a lot. And every, if you're like me, every time you hear the word peace, you kind of go... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's peace in your family, uh, kind of, until somebody slams a the door. Uh, there's one day going to be peace in the Middle East. Yeah, maybe for a little while. Uh, the gangs that are out there fighting and guarding their turf. Uh, let's see if we can get peace between the gangs. That's almost impossible. In fact, our experience of peace is always that it's temporary, it's fragile. Even the peace that we now enjoy in Ethiopia, we all know that while we are thankful for it, it is a a fragile peace. All it takes is one wrong word, one wrong statement, and the peace could crumble. But that's not like the peace that Paul says we have with God. Having been justified, he says, we have peace with God. It is a situation where we are no longer under the anticipation of judgment or of punishment. In fact, Paul includes the concept here of reconciliation. We didn't read it, but look down in verses 10 and 11, where he says in verse 10, "'For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son,' How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's a big deal for Paul, reconciled, reconciled, reconciliation. What's he talking about? He's talking about moving from a status of an enemy to having the status of friendship. Uh, it, it it is moving from a situation where I don't really trust you to a situation of high trust to be reconciled, so that trust governs the relationship. I, I think most of us recognize that real reconciliation. Is so difficult, even in our experience. Uh, I I was thinking about how sad it is when divorce occurs. It's always a a sad situation when two people who who originally set out to say we're going to have this close relationship and and now it it doesn't work. Uh, And many years ago, of course, in order for the court to grant and divorce, it would have required a severe offense like adultery or abandonment. But nowadays, people can get a divorce with simply saying, we have irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable. Our differences are such that we just can never really come together. So we'll agree to be broken up. And and even more irreconcilable is that after someone is divorced, oh my, hardly ever will you hear of the differences being overcome so that real reconciliation can take place. Real reconciliation is impossible almost. And God says that we have been reconciled to him. And our differences really were irreconcilable. A perfect, holy, sinless God with rebellious, sinful people in His presence. And God says, that which was irreconcilable have been brought together. This benefit package begins with this concept that we have peace and reconciliation. Amazing. But not only do we have peace with God, we have a second feature here, that we we have this position of grace before God. A position of grace before God. Did you see it in verse 2 where Paul says, we have peace with God, verse 1, and through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. In which we now stand. It's like Paul says, Look, we have a whole new reality. You live in an ocean of grace. Every step is in the midst of grace. He's going to later talk in this chapter about being under the, under the authority of grace, the reign of grace in our lives. But in this case, he actually is talking about something quite specific, not just grace in general. He says, We have access access. It's a very important word that's used to describe worship and service in the Old Testament. It is the word that was used to to, to give the idea that certain people had access to God in order to serve Him, in order to draw close to Him. Now, this was very rare in the Old Testament, right? Right? I mean, you recognize that everything in the Old Testament was to remind Israel, God's people, over and over, you don't have access to a holy God. We have barriers between Him and us. So when Israel is rescued from Egypt through the Red Sea, and they're brought to Mount Sinai, where God is going to give them the law, Exodus chapter 19, what does God do when when Moses comes up on Mount Sinai? the text there says that he shakes the mountain and he and he sends fire and thunder and lightning and smoke why because you can't come up the mountain in fact moses says, god says to moses tell the people that if you touch the mountain you'll die god is emphasizing that he says look if you come close to this mountain you'll be stoned because you don't have access to me. I'm a holy God." After Mount Sinai, of course, Israel will receive the law and they're going to get a a tabernacle and then a temple. And the whole structure of that is to remind them over and over again that there are barriers between common people and sinful people and this holy God. So there's a a most holy place where only the high priest can go once a year and that's surrounded by curtains and barriers to the holy place and only some can go there and only at certain times. And and that's separated from the courtyard of the tabernacle and only certain cleansed people, Jewish people, can go into there, and, and outside of that is the camp. And only some people can get into the camp, because even outside the camp there's an area called the wilderness where the demons live, and some are sent to live there. So the whole structure of life in Israel was to remind Israel every single day, you don't have access unless I give it to you by grace. And now Paul says to us that it's through Jesus that you have received access by grace in which we stand. We have been given the privilege of drawing close to God in worship and in service to Him. This relationship's looking pretty good. This benefit package is filling out. We have peace with God. We have have grace before God. There is now really the climax of these things is hope. And Paul is going to speak at length in this text about how we as God's people have a shame-free hope. Let's read. We're in we we're, we're go back to verse 3 where he says, not only so, uh, sorry, the end of verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. When Paul speaks, speaks about this hope, what we're going to find is that, that he has a real object in mind, the glory of God, and that this hope is not just uh, uh, kind of a, well, maybe perhaps, but it'll happen kind of hope. It's something very certain. So let's unpack that for a little bit. He says you're going to have This hope, it's not the kind of hope that says, "Uh, I have a feeling this might happen if I just wish hard enough. This is not the kind of hope that says, I sure hope Ethiopia's football team will win the the Africa Cup. This is not the kind of hope that says, I hope we have a nice time on vacation. Those are feelings of optimism. Optimism. Paul is talking about something much different. He's talking about a hope that's overwritten with certainty. The kind of hope that says, this is a well-established anticipation because it's going to happen. So so what is it that is being hoped for? He begins by saying there in verse 2, it's a hope in the glory of God. The glory of God that one day all of earth, all of the worlds, all of the universes, all of the galaxies are going to see the very nature and character of God in all of His might, in all of His splendor, in all of His power, in all of His majesty, it will be revealed. And what a great thing that will be. Paul says we have hope in the glory of God that it actually will come to this earth. We live with the glory of God hidden. We we live where we see it only dimly, but one day, ah, one day it shall happen. We have this hope in the glory of God. This, this, This hope that we have is not only in the glory of God, it is a hope that is really, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a, a statement of confidence, extreme confidence. We know that because the way Paul talks about it is, we boast. You go, what? I thought boasting was bad. No, no, this is a good boast. We boast, or in fact, your, your text might even translate it as, we rejoice, or we have joy in this hope. But it really is, we, we boast. It's the kind of hope that is so certain that we can say it. Um, you know, there's a lot of difference between between a teenage girl who says, you know, I hope someday I'll get married. Take that kind of hope. Versus the the girl who says, I am getting married. Well, how can she boast like that? Well, because she has a ring on her finger and the man has been identified and the wedding's tomorrow. (laughs) So she can boast with Confidence. That's the idea that Paul has here. We, we are so confident that we can say that the glory of God is going to appear, and we will be part of it. But it is even more than that. He says this, this hope is so extreme that, that it's a hope that does not disappoint us. Did you see it there in verse 5? This is a hope that does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. In other words, when the day arrives that the glory of God is to be revealed, None of us are going to go, oh, man, I'm disappointed. I put my hope in the wrong thing. Because it's going to happen. Our hope is certain. And for many of us, that goes so against our normal experience in life. Many of you have been told over and over, oh, just have hope. Just keep hoping. Life is rough now, but just hope. The problem is that we live with the experience of failed hope. For most of us, our hopes have not come true. And we live in a kind of constant state of disappointment. And Paul says, this hope will not disappoint us. It will happen. So this benefit package is rooted in this kind of hope that is a hope in the glory of God, that is extreme confidence. And not only this, that it is, a, it is the kind of hope that that even looks at suffering in a positive way. Because Paul says here that this hope, verse uh, Verse 3, we hope in the glory of God and we boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character, hope. Now, this is not, well, we're going to hope despite the sufferings that beat us up. This is not, I just hope I can get through it. This is hope that says the end is so certain that I know these sufferings are only going to prove to increase my hope and that's a good thing. Paul's not arguing that we look for suffering like a bunch of masochists who are trying to take on pain, but our whole perspective changes with the certainty of our future. And then just to fill out this picture a little bit more about the hope, that this, there's a fourth aspect to the hope. It is a, a hope for salvation from the wrath of God. Verses 9 and 10, hope for salvation from the wrath of God. He says, since now we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? From God's wrath. This hope is a certainty that the punishment that sinful, rebellious people deserve— is not going to happen to us. You know, I, uh, I like to think of wrath, as I understand it from the Scripture, as this, this storing up of God's just judgment to one day be unleashed in justice on a world of people rebelling against Him. We live, at present, with the expectation that the wrath of God will one day be obvious. I'm, I'm intrigued by the uh, the surface-to-air missiles that some of our governments use to defend the lands that they protect. And these, the technology is quite fascinating. When you think about a jet fighter flying over land at high speed, how would you ever shoot down a, a jet fighter? But they have these interesting things called surface-to-air missiles. And the technology of the guidance systems in a surface-to-air missile is such that if they can lock it on to that jet fighter, it'll, it'll find the heat signature of that, of that plane, and, and it will lock into place. And then at just the right time, the missile will launch and the plane will be destroyed. That locking in, the wrath hasn't happened yet, but it's about to. My friends, the world lives under the wrath of God. Where the rebellious of our world, have God has them in his crosshairs, The heat-seeking missile is locked on. And if God does not rescue us, then there we are as well. But this text says we have this hope in salvation from the wrath of God. He's no longer locked on to us for future punishment. What a benefit package. Peace, grace, and hope. Just pause for a minute and think about that with me. We have what we need most, a perfect relationship with our God. You know, when we're short on money, well, it seems like what we need most is money. When we're lonely, it seems like what we need most is friendship. When our health is failing, it seems that what we need most is, is strength and healing. But what we really need most is this kind of relationship with our God, a connection with a Creator, A recognition that our future is with His glory, and He has given it to us. This is our benefit package, a perfect relationship with Him. We enjoy peace and reconciliation and ongoing grace and hope, and the question becomes, well, how did we get that? How did it ever come into our possession? And the answer is wonderful. Not only do we have a perfect relationship, but it has been perfectly procured by our triune God. This relationship with God, this benefit package is procured, it's it's put together by our triune God, meaning the God who is Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all at work to make this happen. The text just screams at us with this. It's wonderful. So, we're back in the text to look at, first of all, the work of the Son. Through His death and through His life, this benefit package is put together. Paul already mentioned it almost quickly in verse 1 when he said, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he He amplifies that and he explains what it means through the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 6 through 11 where we begin to see it's His death and His life that are used to procure this benefit package for us. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us. Since we've now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's much here, but just briefly let me suggest to you that what Paul is pointing out, first of all, is that the death of Christ and the life of Christ are used as the fundamental means of putting together this benefit package for us. And he starts by speaking about Christ as a sacrificial death. It's shockingly sacrificial, verse 6 says it was at just the right time according to God's timeline according to God's schedule God sent Jesus to die this was not an accidental death but an intentional sacrifice this was not a life randomly taken but it was intentionally given Jesus was not a victim of violence but he gave himself up to violence this was not a body that ran out of heartbeats and lost energy for breathing this is sacrifice of Jesus in fact, the text describes it in verse 9 it was a sacrifice by his blood, which is an unusual statement. We, we kind of read through this quickly, but, but think about it. By his blood. Crucifixion really doesn't have much blood, and, and, and there's nothing magical in the blood of Jesus. Why does Paul speak of this blood? Because it communicates an idea. Of the sacrificial work of Christ, giving his life. He would again be hearkening back to the Old Testament where animal after animal after animal is sacrificed and bled and bled and bled. And everything that happened in the temple, everything that happened in the tabernacle could only happen by blood, by the sacrifice of an animal. And so Paul points out here that the benefit package that we receive is by the sacrifice of the life of Jesus through His giving to us. In fact, He says it's for us, for us, for us. It's actually quite shocking because He says it's when we were powerless. Did you see it? Verse 6, when we were ungodly, we who are sinners. Verse 10, we who are enemies of God. Who dies for someone like that? That's exactly the point. You would never expect someone to make a sacrifice for people like that. And Paul says, when we were in that condition, Christ died for us. A sacrifice, a substitute with the most shocking benefits of taking us out from the wrath of God and putting us on a track for the glory of God. We who fall short of the glory of God, chapter 3, are those who have been enabled by Christ to one day experience the glory of God because of the death of Christ. In fact, he will say here at the end of this section that that indeed, um, if this is happening because of his death, how much more because of his life? Did you see it there in verse 10? How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? It's like Paul is saying, look, if God took the death of Christ to reconcile you, to make you friends with him, you who are enemies and godless and powerless and helpless. If that's what he did then, imagine what he will do through the life of Christ, the one who's been resurrected and ascended and mediates in the throne room of God, the one who will return the living Christ because we are connected to him. God says you can have full confidence of salvation from the wrath to come. He will not abandon His Son. He will not abandon us. That's the logic. But it's not just Christ the Son. It's also God the Father. It says God demonstrates His love for us. God sent Jesus to die for His people. God the Father accepted the sacrifice of Christ. God the Father declared people righteous. You have been justified. What a demonstration of love. God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit. Verse 5, it says that the Spirit has poured out, God has poured out His love for us through His Spirit. That the very love of God committed through Christ is applied to individuals by His Spirit. The perfect procurement, of a perfect relationship by our triune God. My friends, don't miss it. It's because of His work. It's not because of us. Many of you are counting on a a government pension one day when you retire. Or if you're from the U.S., you have a social security system. You know how it works, right? Right? That one day we'll retire and we'll have the benefits. They call it, your, here's your benefit package. Here's the benefits you can expect for the government. The funny thing about those benefits, have you ever noticed? You only get them if you pay into them. What kind of benefit is that? You're taking my money and then later you'll give me back to me. God's benefit package doesn't work that way. We had nothing to pay into it what God gives to us in this package of benefits is because of the work of His Son and the work of the Father and the work of the Spirit. That's how it was procured for us. So, what's the effect of all this? Oh, my friends, what a boost to our confidence. Hmm? What a boost to our confidence. We walk out these doors today confident that we have a perfect relationship with God that has been perfectly procured by our triune God. And and this is for those who have been justified by faith. That's how the whole text began. Some of you walked in here this morning, you go, man, my relationship with God, I don't even know if I have one. This benefit package can be yours, but it starts here, to be justified by faith. And if you can believe, oh, believe that this is the work of God through His Son on your behalf. And today, this benefit package becomes yours. But for most of us, we come in with a relationship with God, and yet, and yet perhaps, perhaps we've felt like we've really disappointed God. That pornography has pulled our eyes away from Him, and, and we've not... Said the truth as we wanted, or we've bursted out in anger, and and we've just, we know our lives are full of failure. And you may say, My relationship with God stinks. Oh, my friends, in faith, grab hold of this reality. You have a perfect relationship with God, one of peace and grace. And hope. Perhaps you've been disappointed with God because life isn't what it, you thought it would be. I'm a Christian. I thought I'd have a better house, a better car, a better family, a better job. Hmm. Well, my friends, don't let the disappointments of our day distract you from the reality of this confidence. You have a perfect relationship with God, with peace and grace and hope. I don't know what kind of an employer you have. I have a good one. My employer has a really nice benefit package for me. And and yours may too, right? I mean, we get health insurance and- Dental insurance. The really good ones, they have a retirement plan and and maybe even disability insurance. You get hurt and there's an insurance that takes care of it. It's It's a great benefit package. And the best employers today, you know, they try to put together these benefit packages so that you'll understand as an employee how good the relationship is. My friends, the benefit package from God... It far exceeds any kind of benefit package we could have on this earth because what we've been given is a perfect relationship. So I ask you, how's your relationship with God this morning? I hope you'll say it's perfect, absolutely perfect. And so our Father We are so impressed with what you would do for us through the work of Christ, the generosity of the Father, the conviction of the Spirit. Lord, would you boost our confidence? May we be people whose faith is deepened because of the truth of your Word. For Jesus' sake, I ask. Amen.